Welcome to the Compass Church Podcast with Pastor Tim Jacobs, a ministry of Compass Church with your Arizona. Join us now as we look into God's Word to be challenged and changed. Yeah, we are talking about navigating the dangers of the digital age and the power of connection and all that kind of stuff. And uh, anyway, by the way, it's great to see you guys this morning. I'm Tim Jacobs, lead pastor. If you're a guest with us, I'm so glad you're here. Um, you definitely come to the right place. And what you just saw on the screen there is just an example of, of the power of, of connection in our culture right now. And connection, the digital age has done amazing things for connection. Last week, my wife decided to put on Facebook, she had a great idea. She said, um, you know, what if I just put a little post out there that said, hey, um, our daughters are, are going to go to camp and, and are trying to raise some money, and so if you'd like to buy some cake pops or some macaroons, just let me know, and, and you know, she'll, we'll, we'll sell you some cake pops or macaroons. Well, next thing you know, I'm like, what happened to our house? It turned into a bakery. Like, we, don't, we need a business license. I'm glad I live in the county. I don't think I'm zoned for this, you know? Like, holy cow, what in the world is going on? And it's awesome because I'm like, I can retire early. I mean, she's just like going. She's got like all these people. Not that I want to retire early. But she's got all of these orders of people going, I want cake pops, I want macaroons. And she's up till like 1 o'clock in the morning. I'm going, stop. All from one simple little post. And all of a sudden, it's just people are like, oh, they're really good. You should try this. And, and I'm going, you couldn't do that 20 years ago. 20 years ago, you have to make, we'll make flyers, you know, and go door to door. You want to buy some macaroons? No, get out of my, off my porch. That's the way it used to be. But now it's just instantaneous. Why? Because the power of connection is amazing. You know, a couple uh, weeks ago, we talked about this little circle device, which actually is a cube, (laughs) and you buy it. But those of you that were here know what it is. It's a device that limits the internet in your home and limits the apps for your kids and that kind of thing. You can shut the internet off, and we showed you a video about it and how cool it was. And the um, response to that device, based on those who are minors living in the home of adults, has been absolute hatred. <laughs> right? In fact, they went up to a lot of them. Um, our, my youth pastor, Mike Zerati, you, know, you guys know Mike, came up to me and said, Tim, he said, the high school students are walking up to me going like, why did you do that? He goes, why did I do what? Why did you tell Pastor Tim about this circle thing? No, it's, it's like, it's not funny. Like, why did you do that? And he goes, well, because it would help, you know, everybody. And they're like, I cannot believe. I mean, I've heard stories of kids threatening to throw this thing in the pool and blow it up and everything else. And they're so angry about this device that limits the Internet. And why is that? You can't really blame them because they want connection really, really bad. And when you cut off the connection, it gets them very upset and frustrated. So in their defense, that's what they want. And that's the amazing thing, isn't it? Because years ago, when the futurists were talking about now, like 2016 and everything else, when the futurists imagined what life would be like, they predicted more mechanical progress, and they predicted what humans would want was more machines, right? Like flying cars, kind of like back to the future stuff. You know, we go to other planets, and we'd be going out. What they missed was not, that's, that's not really what we wanted. We didn't really want hardware as much as we wanted software, 
right? We aren't as concerned about these crazy machines as we are the ability for these machines to run things that connect us. That's the thing they missed, the social revolution, the social um, uh, revolution that has really changed the whole way that we interact, we speak to each other and everything else. But yet in the midst of all the connection, we have still and sadly become the most isolated people in history. Because you can have 500 Facebook friends, or 1,000, or even 5,000. And you can still be the loneliest person on the planet. You can have thousands of Instagram followers, and yet no one to call at 3 a.m. when the bottom drops out of your life. No one who you can pick up the phone or text and say, hey, listen, I'm really in a bind right now. You know, I, I've had a little too much to drink, or, or I think, you know, I might have done something really stupid, or I'm out of cash, and, I'm, I, and, and do you have anyone in your life? You can have thousands of friends, but no one who really knows you. That is the age in which we live. Why? Because connection is not relationship. Okay? Connection is not relationship. That's not. What we want, what we're getting is connection. We can find people that are like us faster. And, but what we are still missing is what we truly crave and desire, which is relationship. The Bible, of course, nailed this perfectly thousands of years ago. The Bible, God knew that we would someday have the social media revolution. The Bible knew that we'd be living in 2016. God knew this when we wrote the Bible. He wrote things that we could, that would remind us of what's important and how to figure these things out. And so that's why it says in Proverbs chapter 18, verse 24, a man of many companions, i.e. Facebook friends, may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. And the distinction makes all the difference in the world. You can have many, many companions and no true, real friends. Are you with me? Yeah. Why is this? Well, here's an example. Uh, I'm not much of a craftsman. I mean, I pretty much suck at anything construction related. Um, I just can't do it. Um, but the other day, my wife and I, we were, in, we were um, sitting in our backyard and, and summer's coming and we were having a, a party for um, one of our kids over at the house on Friday night, and, and we we're kind of getting ready for it. And she says, you know what? We should make a little towel holder for the towels when the kids get out of the pool and that kind of thing, so we could have some, a place for them to hang their towels, so not throwing them on the ground. I said, honey, that's a great idea. You know what? I'll build one. And she goes, no, I don't think you understand. We actually need a functioning towel rack. Okay, this isn't like art class or whatever, woodshop class. And I go, no, no, seriously, I'll, I'll build this. Okay, you just go make cake pops. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll build this. I got this, right? So, so, she, so I go to Lowe's, because that's where you go when you need to get stuff. And, and I go in, and I'm like, I'm going to find a piece of wood, right? So I go in, and when you go to Lowe's, you buy wood, or you want to buy a piece of wood, I mean, there's like thousands of choices, right? You have like two-by-fours and plywood, and you got dark wood and light wood, and Finished wood, unfinished wood, all this kind of stuff. And I'm looking around, and I'm just like, I don't know anything, right? And I don't know what's going to work right, what's going to be good for being outside and everything else. So I just walk around, walk around, and, you know, guys are like, can I help you? Nope, nope, I know what I'm doing, thanks. Um, even though I don't. So anyway, I finally look around, look around, and I, I don't know what to do. So I left. Well, the next day, I happened to be downtown, and I said, I'd stopped by this place called Porter Barnwood. And 
there they actually have wood that's been taken off of barns from all over the country and that kind of thing and different kinds of things. So I go, I'm going to check this place out. And I go in and, and I walk around the lumber yard and there's all these just random pieces of wood and different shapes and sizes and I'm looking around and finally I found this one piece of wood that's just really cool looking. I'm like, I want, this is the piece of wood that I want to use for my little, I can attach the little hooks on and put it on my wall. So I go up to the little place where you, into the little room where you uh, check out, the little store they have. And as the guy's ringing me up, I asked him, I said, so, and it's just this random unmarked piece of wood just laying out in the lumberyard. I said, you wouldn't happen to know anything about this piece of wood, would you? He goes, as a matter of fact, I do. I can tell you that that piece of wood right there you're holding in your hand comes from a thoroughbred farm, that w- and it was part of a fence of a thoroughbred farm just outside of Lexington, Kentucky. It's about 125 years old, and it was originally painted black, but you can tell by the way it's faded over the years that, you know, it, 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 was, it was black at one time, but now it's kind of all kind of faded and grainy and that sort of thing. And I can tell you it had a north-south exposure, and you can tell that way because of the way it's worn on either side and, and the pattern there. And he says, that's the, that's the piece of wood you're holding in your hand. I was like, whoa, that's pretty good. And all of a sudden, you know what's the weirdest thing happened? When he told me about this, my, my little piece of wood, I kind of got excited about it. And I walked out the parking lot on 7th Street there, and I'm like, this is my wood, man. I'm walking around like, nobody better take my wood, right? Because this is, right? This is cool. This thing came from a, from a farm out in Kentucky. It's over 100 years old. This is my wood. Don't be messing with my wood, right? So I put it in, like, put it in the back seat, you know, and I'm like, make sure it's okay, right? Because this, my, now, what's the difference? The difference is one place gave me connection to all kinds of random pieces of wood, but the other place gave me relationship. The other place told me something about this wood. This wood had a story, and I was like, that's pretty cool. And so all of a sudden, that piece of wood became special to me because I knew about it as opposed to the thousands of pieces of wood that were just random and had really nothing to do with anything. And that's really, when we understand that, we can begin to say, how do I become somebody who rather than just has a whole bunch of shallow surface connections with people, who actually can begin to treasure people in my life and know their story and stick with them over long periods of time. And so how do we do that when we have all of this stuff that's pressuring us to stay in the shallow end when it comes to relationships and how we spend our time? Well, the great thing about our faith is, not th- is the fact that we don't just have some invisible God, some invisible deity who stays impersonal and gives us cryptic messages and kind of gives us little clues on how to do things. We actually, in our faith, what's central to our faith is that we have, in our theology, the idea that God became man. That God became one of us, and he did humanity perfectly. He's the only person to live exactly right, never, never making any mistakes at all. And so everything he did was basically he's the first one to do it correctly. So we believe that Jesus is 100% God because if he wasn't, that would mean that he wouldn't really be able to be capable of taking our sins upon himself. He wouldn't be a worthy enough sacrifice. And it would be kind of like God sending someone else to do his dirty work for him. God never really wanted to be close to us. But because we believe he's 100% God, he actually came himself down to become one of us, but we also believe he's 100% human. He's not just half human, he's not just part human, but he's fully human as we are, as the Bible says, yet without sin. That's an amazing concept, but what it means is, if we're going to really understand what friendship is like, in my mind, I thought, well, why don't we look at how Jesus did friendship? 
Because he did everything, he, did, he was the first one to get everything right, and the only one to get everything right. So when it came to friendship, what did Jesus do? What were his friendships like? How did he approach friendship? Because he's the one that cracked the code on this life. And so what I want to do is spend the remainder of our time and just give you two things, two aspects of how Jesus approached friendship that I think are really important for us. Because it really, I think, cracks the code in terms of what we're missing. And they're very simple, but I think they're very profound. The first thing is this. How did Jesus approach friendship? Number one, he committed himself only to a few. He committed himself to only a few. This is perhaps the most striking thing about Jesus' interactions with people while he was on the earth. He had thousands of followers during the three years of his ministry. I don't know if you guys are aware of that. But he was like really, really popular, okay? And he had people following him all the time. But out of those thousands, he had a smaller group, maybe even of like 100, that included his disciples, but also like there were women and other people that were kind of just kind of following him around and, and a part of that. But then within that smaller group, there was the 12, there were his disciples, and you guys know, you guys heard about those guys. But then within that group, there, is, there was three, and they're known as Peter, James, and John. And when you look at the scriptures and you look at Jesus' interactions, it always seemed like when Jesus was in his most stressed or in, in times of like, when really intense, amazing things would happen, he would be with those three guys and kind of those three guys alone, okay? So for example, when Jesus had this whole episode known as the transfiguration where it was kind of this miraculous thing that happened and he went up on a mountainside and it kind of sealed the deal in terms of his um, being known as the son of God. When that happened, look what it says in, in Matthew chapter 17. It says, after six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, his brother, and led them up on a high mountain by themselves. Jesus didn't have a problem getting away from the masses of people and grabbing those who were closest to him for a really intense moment of his life. There was another time when there was a ruler of a synagogue whose daughter had died. And he had said, your daughter's going to be okay. And then right as he's saying that, this other guy comes up to him and says, hey, we just came from the house, your daughter's dead. And so Jesus uh, realized now, okay, now the guy's like totally grief-stricken, his daughter's dead. So they go back over to the house, and Jesus walks in, basically says, your daughter's going to be okay. And they all laugh at him like, yeah, she's dead, dude. He's not, she's not going to be okay. But when he goes over to the house, and this is a very significant point in his ministry. This is huge because we're talking about like raising dead people. This doesn't happen every day. What does it say in Mark 5:37? And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. Perhaps the most intense time was when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, right before his crucifixion. And he's been betrayed. Judas has gone out already to gather the guys and, and come get him. And Jesus is like in a, very, in a state of, of true anxiety. And he tells his disciples to keep watch, but then he goes further into the garden and it says this, and he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. What's the point? The Son of God the perfect man, did what human beings were designed to do. When life really came crashing down, when in, in life's most intense moments, in their deepest and most real raw moments, he had with him just a few. Just a few. And I think the digital age challenges us in this regard because it always lures us into skimming the surface of people's lives. Right? And oftentimes what we see is not really what's going on. We've said this before. Don't compare your behind-the-scenes footage to someone else's highlight reel, right? And social media is a highlight reel. 
No one's ever, unless, the only time when you see someone put on social media like, man, my life really sucks, and I wish I was dead, we kind of think that person's kind of creepy, right? Like, why are, you, why are you telling us this, okay? Like, I, I mean, personally, that kind of wears me out when people do that. So, like, if you need to talk to somebody, talk to somebody, but don't put all your dirty laundry. But so people tend to put the best things about themselves. I mean, we've done it. I posted pictures of, like, here's our happy family. And you don't know, it was right as we were trying to get this picture together, we're like, shut up and stand there and don't move. And you put your arms down and smile or I'll punch you, right? And everyone's like, oh, my God. Okay, take the picture. Having a great time. Boom. Everybody knows that's how it goes, right? That's not real. Okay, so you spend your time skimming the surface of relationships going, there's a big hole in my life because obviously those people are happy and that marriage looks really solid and this kid looks like he's going to grow up and be the next president and my kids are horrible and all this kind of stuff, right? This is what you're thinking in your head. But see, here's the thing. You're not going to get to the end of your life and say, man, you know, I wish I would have spent more time on Instagram. I mean, seriously, is anyone going to do that? Are you going to get to the end of your life and say, I really feel like I missed it because I should have been on Facebook later on into the evening? No, no one's ever going to say that. What are you most likely going to say? I wish I spent more time with my friends. I wish I spent more time with those who knew me the most. That's what you're going to say. And I think, I think that the reason that Jesus gets that is because he knew from the get-go that his time is very short. You know, they say there's nothing like the gallows to focus your mind, right? And he knew his ministry was going to be very short. He says, I don't have so much time. So I, I, while people are important, yeah, and you think, well, Jesus should be friends with everybody. He's fully human, guys. So that's not, that's not part, that would make him like other than human to be able to do that. So what did he did? He did, he did, uh, he did what humans are supposed to do in terms of their wiring. You grab a few and you go deep and you go long term and you go intense with those people. And by the way, I think that we experience those things different ways. I mean, men and women connect differently. And I was talking to my wife about this, you know, I mean, Obviously, as women, you, you guys tend to connect more, like, conversationally and emotionally with people. If you've, you guys connect through conversation, you connect through sharing of feelings and, and everything else, and that's really, really good. And that's why, like, we had this amazing women's event here yesterday, and, and a lot of it was just, they were, my wife walked away, and she was like, man, this was so awesome, because there was a lot of communication and conversation and everything else, and that's really good. For men, we oftentimes bond and develop friendships over experience. And, and we don't have to talk as much, but we have to kind of go through something together. And so that's, but both those things are really important. And for guys, some of you guys, the problem is, is the digital age drives us into virtual experiences. They're not real. I mean, I don't know. I mean, so you can get on, the, you can get on a video game with some other guy like in Oklahoma or, you know, Taiwan or whatever. You can get your guys and go in and t- take a city online. But I don't think that's the same thing as actually being in some kind of real danger. I mean, some of you guys 
we need to like actually have a real experience that involves really stretching yourself, really kind of putting yourself in a position of, I don't know if I can do this, or, or this is something that kind of draws out of me, um, things that, that are maybe weaknesses or whatever that kind of challenge those things and expose those things. And when you do that with other people, it tends to bring out, especially in guys, those really strong connections that we're meant to have. You know, I remember um, about five years ago when I had the opportunity to go to Egypt, and I went there right after the, the fall of Mubarak, the, and the regime was changing. And there was a lot of instability in the area. And when we went there, we went there as kind of short-term missionaries to go and preach in different churches um, all up and down, like from Alexandria to the north all the way down into um, Minya, which is in the lower or upper Nile region south of Cairo. And we were kind of on the, on the road the whole time, and we were going to these different churches. And every time we go somewhere, and we told the people in that one village where we were going next, they said, oh, don't go. It's very dangerous. <laughs> like, Really? Why'd you say that? Um, and, then, and then, like, you'd hear, like, oh, uh, right over there, 12 miles that way, um, there was a priest that got beheaded, and over here, these people got kidnapped, and, and we're, I'm sitting there, like, what am I doing here? Like, this is, the, why did I decide to go on this trip? And the guy that I went on the trip with, I'm like, dude, why did you not tell me this? Um, you know, he's like, oh, it's going to be all right. But there were times when we were, like, we were kind of nervous, because we were the only non-Arab people in this little village way out in the middle of nowhere, and we weren't really sure how it was going to turn out. Like I said, the government was abolished. The police station has been burned up. And I remember at one, one afternoon, I was sitting there with, um, with John. And because of just kind of how the, the feelings that we had over the past few days, we started talking about stuff like courage and fear and like how you feel like kind of deficit in your heart sometimes. And it's like, I don't want to be afraid, but I am. And is that okay? And, what, and, just like, and, and we were talking about like, like real stuff. You know what I mean? Stuff that that it took an experience. It doesn't have to be something like that necessarily, but it took an experience. It took a journey. It took like an, an event for, for us to be able to, and, we, and the problem is when you, when, you, when you, or the cool thing is when you have a conversation like that, that becomes like a little stone, like a piece of foundation in your life, and you might drift apart for a period of time, but you kind of always have that. And so you can kind of pick up where you left off, and you can remember those things, and you can, you, you have that in your history. But that, those kinds of things, you don't get those conversations just skimming the surface of virtual experiences and, and the digital age stuff. You don't get it. And I think it's important that we somehow try to pursue those things and pursue those journeys. And by the way, that's exactly what Jesus did. You know, one of the things we have to remember is that, is that Jesus, when he was with his disciples and they wanted to go somewhere, they had to walk. And oftentimes when they had to walk, the journey wasn't always safe. You know, because he'd be walking up trails and around places and, and, and you'd go out from this village to this village and there were robbers and, you know, bandits and whatever all along the way. And so whenever you're walking, you're outside, you're moving, there's just something about that that slows you down and you look at nature and it's important. And so Jesus almost had hardwired, engineered into his whole existence with his friends this a way for them to connect and bond in ways that I think are really hard for us. And so, we, so I want you to just kind of be challenged, especially guys, be challenged by that. Like what are you opening yourself up to that really does put you in that, in that experience where you're going like, what, what's going to draw out of me? How am I going to be challenged? How am I going to be like maybe even shown to be a little bit weak in a certain area so someone else can come in and, 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 and we can talk about this kind of stuff or if, if there's a sense of fear or whatever else. I think it's one of the reasons why adventure trips are just skyrocketing right now is because people want that. They want those true experiences. And so the coolest thing about this is it gets you beyond the issues and into the heart. And I'm going to say something really controversial. I'm going to talk to especially those of you Christians, just who are Christians here. If all you have in common with someone is a shared belief in Jesus, that's not enough for a friendship, I don't think. 
Some of you are going to go, really? That's weird. No, 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 but I, I, I've been in this thing for like a long time. 20 years full-time ministry this month, by the way. I just realized that. So, um, but, so I've been doing this for a while. But if all you have with someone in common is a shared belief in Jesus, that's not enough. And I think a lot of Christians think that it is. And they come to church, and they're like, well, I should have, I should have good Christian friendships because we all believe in Jesus. Like, we're all, we all believe in Jesus. But I don't think that's enough. And I, I made a little illustration. It's a really terrible drawing um, that I made, but you can see it. <laughs> um, <laughs> on the left side, there's like two guys, and one of them, got a big head and the other one doesn't look happy but those are two guys who say we both believe in the cross right we both believe in the tenets of christianity so they're going to get together in a church and they're going to talk theology and they're going to talk prophecy and they may even talk mixed politics and current events and they're going to connect and they're almost going to have like a pseudo connection because they're going to have a lot of issue agreement in common right but that doesn't mean they have a real relationship with each other. It just means that they, that, they, that they have a lot to talk about in terms of a shared belief. They have that in common. But you can see there's nothing that really connects them together other than that. But on the other side, what you have are, are not people who talk about the cross, but people who talk to each other through the cross. Meaning they connect through an understanding of what the cross and what Christianity represents, which is what? All of us are broken. All of us are failed. All of us are in need of a Savior. All of us are in need of rescuing. All of us have, uh, have stuff in our lives that we could never stand before God and say, God, look at me. Aren't I a good person? I should go to heaven. But all of us are in a place of being undeserving, but we've all experienced the grace of God. So not only do when I connect with you or you or you, and we're ha- we try to have a friendship, we, we, we experience that friendship through that land. So I don't look at you as somebody I have to one-up by my knowledge of this or my knowledge of that. I look at you as another person like me who's been forgiven. Another person who's, who's had a, who has a story, kind of like that piece of barnwood. Like, comes from somewhere. And doesn't, isn't necessarily trying to prove myself to you. And too many times in churches, you know, you have this kind of posturing that goes on, and, and there's a false sense of connection, in, whether it's our connection groups that we have here or, or other churches that may have, like, Sunday school classes, and, they re, and it all revolves around issues as opposed to, like, now what's really going on with you, man? Because then when the bottom drops out of that person's life, they, they can't go talk to that person because they've never had a real conversation about the impact of the cross on that person's life. It's just always about, well, you know, so do you think that... Uh, uh, that, that God has a plan for the nation of Israel, or do, do you think, it, or some, some weird kind of, and it's not, that, it's not that those things are bad, but if that's all you're connecting on, that's my point, that's not enough. Or what do you believe about this theological fact? Those are fine conversations, but if you, without that relationship, it's just kind of like, it's not really f- uh, fruitful at all. And so, until, look, my whole p- opinion is this, until you and I have like suffered together, we're not really that good of friends. I mean, we might know each other and have a mutual admiration, but until you and I have gone through something like where we've talked about real stuff and I've exposed a little bit of vulnerability and I've, I've been kind of honest about, like, man, I really feel like I blew it here or this is a regret I have in my life or this is something I've wondered about that really bothers me in my soul. Until, like, we've been there and gone there, I mean, we might have a lot of issue agreement, but that's not really a relationship. So you can see this, but Jesus, he trained the 12, but he drew close to the three. They saw him sweat drops of blood in the Garden of Gethsemane. So my question to you is this, who are your three? I mean, you don't have to have three per se, but in a metaphorical sense, who are the three in your life? Or the one. And it can't be your spouse. 
I mean, your spouse is fine. That's good. You should have a close relationship with your spouse. But sometimes when your spouse is the problem or you're the problem to your spouse, you know what I mean? Like, seriously, can I just be real with you? If you're about ready to have an affair, do you have, a, do you have one person in your life that if you're about to cheat on your spouse that you can call and say, hey, listen, man, I don't know how to tell you this, but I'm about to cheat on my spouse, I think. Well, I, I, I'd never tell anybody that. Then you got a problem. Because you have nobody in your life that you can be real with. You got 5,000 friends on social media, but you have no one who knows you. The second thing I observe about Jesus and his friendships and the way he approached friendship was not only that he, he committed himself to the only a few, but he stuck with his friends even when they failed him. See, the disciples, you have to understand, like, especially a guy like Peter, I mean, they were all in. They were like 100% invested. Oh, Jesus, when you take over everything, can one of us sit at your right hand, one of us sit at your left hand? It's kind of a dumb question, but, they, but it, it evidences faith. Like, we believe that you're the guy. Peter says, I'll die with you. He cut off the guy's ear, right? I mean, he's like ready to go to town for Jesus. He'd be his biggest defender. I mean, his people, his disciples love him. And yet, in one of the saddest verses in the Bible, when Judas brings his whole band of thugs and they grab Jesus and arrest him in the Garden of Gethsemane, you know what it says in Mark chapter 14, verse 50, look at this, and they all left him and fled. This is why it's so important to talk about Jesus, his humanity. Because we kind of think, well, okay, it was no big deal, though, because it's Jesus, right? I mean, he just he knew it was going to happen to him, and he's good with it. But he's a human just like us. He didn't feel anything less than we would have felt. He wouldn't have any, he wouldn't felt any less abandoned or less anxious or less alone just because he was Jesus. No, the Bible says he was just like us. He felt that same betrayal. He felt that same loneliness. He felt that same abandonment. Every One guy betrayed him of his 12. The other 11 ran away from him. So you think that when he goes through all this stuff and he's like, you know, beaten and tortured and, and mocked and everything else for, for, for truly being an innocent person. And then he's crucified. And then he rises from the dead. You think the first thing he'd do is go out and find himself some new friends. Right? I mean, it's kind of a good idea. Like, obviously, these guys, they didn't make the cut. So maybe I should go out and find some guys who can do a better job. Because now i got to turn these guys loose on the rest of the world. And they've got to go change it. They couldn't pass that test. What in, the, what in the world? But that's not what happens, is it? No. No, he goes after them. He pursues them. The Bible says he rose from the dead and he appeared to them. And at first they didn't even know, like, they didn't realize, because they've given, they gave up on him. Not only did they abandon, they gave up on him. They went back to their fishing boats. They're like, well, that's over. That was a bummer. And Jesus appears to them and pursues them and goes after them. He didn't give up on his friends. And you know what's hard? We live in a culture that is so incredibly disposable. And it's so easy to have anonymity. Because you can get an avatar, and you can paint yourself, and you can create your own online profile, and you can make yourself into the kind of person that you think everybody wants you to be in that online world. And then in the real world, you can move here, go here, do this, do that. 
a lot of people come here from Phoenix because, um, and maybe you're one of them, and I don't mean to like pick on you, but this is just human nature sometimes, is you had something really terrible happen to you in another city, and you want to come restart your life and find new friends and everything else. That's not always a bad thing. But, a lot, but it's so easy for us. It illustrates the fact that it's so easy for us to move from one setting to another without saying, you know what, maybe I need to turn around and go back and stick with people, even if they're flawed even if they've failed me. Because you know what? Think about this. Every person in Jesus' life was worse than he was. <laughs> right? Because he's the only perfect man. So he didn't have a very good pool to choose from. He didn't have anybody on par with him. Everybody in his life was worse than he was. Now, I'm not trying to say that, that you should go and, be, and keep relationships with people that are abusive or that kind of thing. I mean, um, even Jesus had a Judas, Right? By the way, they didn't stop him from investing in friendships. Sometimes you think the worst thing that ever happened to you is the fact that you were betrayed. Well, it happens to the best of us. If you've been betrayed before, you're in good company. The Son of God was betrayed. You feel betrayed, you go, I should have known better. I should have seen the signs. I should have I been aware. I, 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 wasn't, I, didn't look at the, I didn't look what they were doing behind the scenes. I didn't see how they were manipulating things. I, why was I so dumb? And you feel like you feel kind of like a fool when you're betrayed by somebody. Jesus was betrayed. He's not a dumb guy. Was he overly trusting? Was he overly gracious? I think in humanity, in relationships, you may have a Judas. And if you do, that person... I'm not telling you to go after that person because that person was obviously the worst thing for you. But there's going to be people. In fact, the Proverbs, Proverbs also says, what, wounds from a friend can be trusted. And there's times that maybe things can happen that don't go your way. But if, I'm just, if, you, if you don't have conflict in friendship, you don't have friendship. You know what I mean? If you don't have some kind of like, some kind of moment where things get a little bit awkward or weird, or you go, hey, can we talk about this? I, I feel like I was a little bit off there. And you can't get through that. What kind of friendship do you really have? What happens is, and we as Christians do this too because we like peace a lot. And so we, don't, we kind of avoid conflict because we feel like conflict's bad. Conflict's not bad. Conflict is part of life. And the, the question is, can you get through conflict? And then once you get through it, you're that much stronger. But if, you, if, if all you do is hit the first conflict of the friendship and go, that, guy, that person sucks. I'm not going to hang out with them anymore. Then, then that's going to be the nature of your friendships. You're going to skim the surface, and you're going to have that, that kind of high that comes from, like, hanging out with a new person and, like, learning, oh, that's, this person's really cool and everything else. And then, and then they're going to do something to fail you because that's what we do. So my question to you is, is there someone in your life right now that you got to just go make things right with? Because I think it's better to have one friend for 20 years than four friends for five years. Did that do the math right? I think so. You know what I mean? What is is it? And, and I, by the way, I'm preaching to myself too, because because I'm I'm not good at this. Like, because I'm kind of a task-driven guy, and and throughout my years, I mean, I can just like, you know, sometimes I go, I don't want to deal with that right now, and pff, I'll just kind of go over here and occupy my my life over here. And, you know, I know this person's kind of kind of drifting away, and I go, well, oh well. But that doesn't do that doesn't that's not good for my soul when I do that. So I've, I've tried to like. Like, okay, if Jesus can have 12 guys who ran away from him when he most needed them, and he went back to them and said, hey, guys, it's all right. What can I do? 
And so if somebody's failed you, and I'm, again, I'm not talking about an abusive person. Don't go after an abusive relationship. I'm talking about in normal life stuff because people are going to fail us. If you expect something, don't expect something more out of a friend than you should. They're just human beings. Same thing with the spouse. We've talked about this kind of stuff before. We all have a need for God to fill what only God can fill. Don't stick a friend or a spouse in that space that only God can fill. That's unfair to them, and you're going to get hurt. So let me ask you this question. Who knows you? Who can you call at 3 a.m. when the bottom drops out? Who can you call when you've had a little too much to drink and you're embarrassed by that? Who can you call when you feel like your marriage is about to blow up and you don't know what to do? Who can you call when you've made an embarrassing mistake and if you don't have this person to talk to, then you're just going to hold it inside. Do you have three? And if you've had three or two or one, and that's on the rocks right now, there's been conflict, can you go back and try to reconcile and say maybe it's better to keep a 12-year friendship than to ditch something and just try to find another one? Finally, I'll tell you this. God does not want to be the man upstairs to you. If you feel distance from God, if you feel like you don't know God, it's not on his end, it's on yours. Now I understand that God doesn't always do what we want him to do and say, and talk to us audibly and tell us exactly, but God has revealed himself to us through the person of Jesus. God has made himself known to us because he actually loves us. He created us for connection. If he did not if God was not desiring of, of connection and relationship, he would not have made us for that desire. That'd be kind of dumb. Like we don't have, our desire to relate is very small compared to God's because God is so much greater than we are. So the Bible says that God knows you. He knows all of your flaws and sins and everything about you and everything you wish you could change and everything that you regret in your life and he still loves you and still wants, hear this, to be your friend. And how do I know this? Because Jesus said in John chapter 15, he said, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. And then like six hours later, he went and laid down his life for his friends. That's pretty cool. Remember what we said before. God is Christ-like. Meredith talked about how do, we know who, how do we know who God is? How do we know who God is? He gave us a picture, a picture of Jesus. Jesus says, greater love is knowing this, that he laid down his life for his friends. Watch me go do that for you. Because he wants to be friends with you. He knows your flaws. He knows you're screwed up. He knows that you regret stuff. He knows you got baggage and everything else. But he still is pursuing you. If there's a disconnection, don't let it be on your end. Become friends with him. The Bible says simply, as it relates to Abraham in the Old Testament, Abraham believed God. Abraham believed, just believed him. And it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. That's pretty cool. Let's pray. Hey, with your heads bowed and eyes closed, if you're here today and you're like, you know what? You know, that's pretty cool. I want that. I want to become a friend of, a friend of God. It just starts by simply saying, you know, I believe. It's exactly this verse that just was said. I believe that 
that God has revealed himself in the person of Jesus. He wants to be my friend. That he took my place. And all my sin and my regret and my shame and everything else, he just kind of paid that for me. So if that's you and you're here today, it doesn't have to be, but if it is, tell him to say, God, I, I get that. I want that. I need you to become my savior, my God, and my friend. And so today I put my trust in Jesus. Just tell him that. For the rest of us, maybe it's a time to ask him, God, can you help me find the Peter, the James, the John? Can you help me find the three? Help me become a person who's vulnerable, who's honest, who isn't trying to connect with people through issues, but relate to people through the actual work of Jesus on the cross. Talk to people as a person who's been broken and redeemed and forgiven and have real experiences, real memories, real connections and that supersede the shallow stuff that's out there. God, thank you that you made us for this. And guys, we navigate all this stuff. It's a wonderful thing to be able to have so much wonderful connection with people, so many options and opportunities. But God, as I pray as part of that, that we'd be people who would really dive deep, grab those three, or two, or four, or whatever, and spend our lives with them, enduring difficult stuff. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us today. Why not ask God to change your life so you can go and change your world for Him? To find out more about our church online, go to www.compasschurch.info, and we'll see you next time.